Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, and I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Howdy, hey gentlemen. There. Hey there. It is actually a Saturday morning. It is, in fact. We're recording this on a Saturday morning. That's a little bit shocking, but hey, that's what we're doing today. Um, so it is the 25th of March, and we have a lot to talk about. This time of year, of course, always does bring quite a lot. We're still in the throes of March Madness, and that's where we're going to kick things off in the college basketball world. We definitely want to talk about uh, the Wings trade deadline and some eye, uh, eyebrow-raising moves by Eiserman. Obviously, we have Tigers uh, wrapping up spring training. Uh, plenty to talk about there as well as well as the World Baseball Classic, the rule changes, all that good stuff. We've got um, oh that one team that plays football in Detroit. We should probably talk a little bit about them as their big day is coming up shortly. Um, also got uh, golf on the menu for today as well. Um, and so with that said, we'll just jump right in to uh, March Madness. And I assume both of your brackets are still completely intact, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you'd I have mean, to be just you'd have to go back to the computer for that one to make sure that you actually did it remotely right, because otherwise, I, I there's no way that a, a I mean I would assume at this point there's not a hundred you know a bracket still intact with all the picks, right? So, I can't imagine, not even not even slightly. Right. Um, but going to our alma mater in Oakland University, I don't know that there's much that we want to say today uh, because we remain in sort of this this place where we're very stuck. And this is ultimately, I guess, where I've landed on this in my ruminations on the topic is Oakland is just a program that is stuck. It is not going anywhere. Will they still continue to be able to eke out decent teams? Yeah, I think so. Um are they going to go anywhere? Doesn't really seem like it. Um, you know, a couple losses to Northern Kentucky at the end of the season. They played Northern Kentucky to finish the season and then uh, played them in the Horizon League tournament. They played a very decent game. They really did. It was not a bad game. They tied it even late in the second half. They were close basically all game. Statistically, the numbers were very decent, except for they got killed on the offensive boards. But... But they came up short and played, as we've talked about, basically six guys, a little bit of Conway there. But, I mean, if this was not a great overview of the season, this final game, I don't know what was. No, I, I, I would want to keep the conversation more about the, the overall direction of the program. And I think you're absolutely right. They're, they're in a rut. Uh, and I, 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 you know, and I guess it comes down to where the, the athletic department and the people running the athletic department, what, what they're comfortable with and what, what they want, right? And and I think what spoke volumes was, I think, I don't know exactly, it, it happened within the last six months when Coach Campy signed a four-year contract. Um, they're very happy with Coach Campy uh, being the, the face of the program. Uh, they're very happy with, I, I guess, what has been the, the overarching theme of of being decent, as you've stated, right? And as a result, I'm not expecting anything to 
dramatically changed within this program. I think it's very challenging. I think for a coach campy to recruit based on the, the uh, uh, transfer portal, I, I know that opportunity is always there and, and maybe they can, you know, find some local talent along the way. But I think the other problem too is I really think that the local talent is not nearly as good as it was like when we were at Oakland, uh, Justin, and, and, and probably even just the same with Brandon. Um, and, and I think recruiting and, and, and being able to be able to kind of sell that uh, with the location piece to, to players is probably way more challenging than it was 25, 30 years ago. Um, and, uh, and at this point, uh, unless you do something seismic, um, and I, I don't know what the size thing would be. I really don't because I, I, I think you'd be very challenged to be able to recruit a up and coming coach to this program uh, to, that, that would be the size of the change. So, yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't expect anything to really dramatically change going forward. Uh, and it's just a, a, a wait and see and see if maybe, you know, something some sort of spontaneous combustion can take place, but that I, again, I don't have that expectation. Brandon. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I think rut for sure. I think pot potential for collapse, uh, depending on how the transfer portal goes and Campy's ability to retain some of the talent that he has. And in particular, I'm thinking of Trey Townsend, uh, who fits the mold of who's now going to be an upperclassman next year who has shown an ability to score and play good defense and has good size and could very easily find himself uh, on a mid-major, an upper mid-major, or a low power six team playing good minutes. Uh, just like we watched last night, uh, if you were watching, Micah Parrish finish off the number one overall seed of Alabama, making some clutch free throws, grabbing down a couple of rebounds, and looking like a regular you know, part of that game, you know, someone that could compete at that level. You know, and he was, you know, struggling at times with us. Uh, you know, when he was on a team, you know, with us, would have had Jamal Kane and a number of other talented guys that couldn't go anywhere. And so there's there's something missing. Um, if everything holds, and Jalen Moore exercises his graduate option, they will have an they will finally have a veteran basketball team um, with which to build from, you know, through the transfer portal. They will have mostly upperclassmen, Chris Conway, Trey Townsend, Blake Lampman, Rocket Watts, Jalen Moore, uh, and what and Ose Price, I believe, will all be upperclassmen next year. And so that finally gives them at least that veteran presence. Keaton Hervey will go. Uh he was in a grad year. Maybe if they can add another piece in the portal, they have a shot, but I'm more concerned about what they could lose. Uh even even Blake Lampman, he can shoot. You find yeah. you know he, he wouldn't necessarily be like a Micah Parrish that's going to go to a, a school of the caliber of San Diego State, but I could see him going to a Vermont or another school like that that's perennial in the tournament that has shooters, you know. And so, what, how how well can Campy keep this group together? Is this, and this is really a bigger question, and 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 partially I, I kind of want to juxtapose it with the the tournament as a whole. Because one of the funny things we've seen about this tournament, and really just in the last five years, we had the first two upsets of a 16 over a one, which is interesting. Uh, we've seen an uptick in those type of wild upsets. Um, does that mean there's more parity 
Is this just fluky? And now let's let's also unpack though that is this type of thing, the transfer portal, the death of schools like Oakland, who can no longer compete because they lose their decent players, or is it just a different and evolving landscape that we're not keeping up with? I don't know. To I me, think- it's a, a different and evolving landscape. Um, you know, Fairleigh Dickinson used the transfer portal in an unusual way in that the coach that came from D2 took his, his D2 senior guards uh, from, from Aquinas College and brought them into FDU. They were both in their fifth year, and they absolutely annihilated two four-star recruits from Purdue in that game. I mean, they made them look silly. One of them was Mr. Basketball in Indiana. And these two D2 players who had five years of experience dominated Purdue's guards the entire game. They weren't even close. You know, and so you can compete. Uh, and But it really was what you're seeing is the transfer portal is making some of the teams older. It's making the mid-major teams older. Uh, and it's helping some of the even the lower end power five teams or power six teams compete because they're older, too. And so now it's really a question of, of athleticism, potential talent versus, you know, older teams, more fundamentally solid teams. And in this particular tournament, the older fundamentally solid teams are, are dominating. You know, and they are just knocking teams off left and right. And San Diego State versus Alabama, great example. You know, just know how to win games. And and Justin, I think to go back to your first question, I mean, parity is absolutely skyrocketed in college basketball, right? And and that's what, to be honest with you, makes me the most frustrated with Open University is I think there have been – uh, strategic steps to not take advantage of the parity in, in college basketball on a few different levels, right? Um, and then the, the other thing, the transfer portal is, is the ultimate opportunity to to you know try to sell your program. And to be honest with you, it really puts the program. If, if you're not able to sell your program through the transfer portal, you need to figure out how to step up your game at that point. And to me, I believe that OU, Open University basketball program is not stepping up to sell their wares, right? Or they're not developing their wares. They're not investing. Right. No, I think Adam is making a fantastic point, which is what is the arena size? What are the athletic facilities? Because actually the fundamentals of OU are actually pretty strong for a lot of guys. Why? Because you know you're going to play Michigan State every year at LCA. You also know that Campy has such good relationships in college basketball that you're going to get five power five games, power six teams a year. Yeah. Like that is great exposure. Some of those games are going to be on TV. Certainly you're going to get state with the bright lights on and sometimes Michigan too. Like you can get, you know, there, there is a, you have a history of multiple players having been drafted from your program, which a lot of comparable teams can't say even in the horizon league in recent memory. So, but something's got to click to Adam's point. Like the inv- maybe the investment in the program isn't enough or we're not selling it enough, but it should be an attractive option. Uh, and, and, and I think to, to, to Brandon's point, I, I will say that the, 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 that arena is beautiful. I really, it is, it is a beautiful arena, but at some point you've got to step it up a little bit. And uh, I think that that's a, a, a selling piece, but I, I, I think in general though, because of the G League, 
Um, and I think so much more, I guess, of Europe being an option, you're seeing in my mind the, 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 that end up forcing parity uh, be a, a major aspect of, of college basketball. And I, I don't think going forward, anyone should be shocked by a 16 seed winning over a first uh, a number one seed. Um, and I mean, Purdue, when you look at Purdue, right. And, and I, and again, I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm going on, um, you know, over 30 years of watching college basketball. Right. And, you know, I go back to the days of UNLV and I mean, that was a team full of men on <laughs> And yeah. when I look at Purdue, I just saw a program that just somehow ended up being a number one seed like the rest of these programs. You know, I looked at Houston last night, and I mean, they had, I mean, they really had one great half in the three games that they played. It was the second half last Saturday, right? Um, and then Alabama, I mean, we're not going to go there because I, I just don't have the patience for it. But you knew that was going to implode at some point, right? And and of course, Chris, the irony, of course, is San Diego San Diego State's head coach, if I understand right, was a longtime Michigan uh, mm-hmm. person as well. He was and Steve we, Fisher's number two at Michigan yeah, during their and, Fab Five run. He and, recruited and, John Howard, actually. Some somehow, you know, did did he ever get viewed as a credible coach uh, for the Michigan Wolverine program? I don't know. That club. I got another conversation coming up here in a moment, probably. So, yep. Well, we can talk about Michigan um, because their their season also landed with something of a thud. Um, and, and just to wrap up the Oakland conversation, it's just, yep. I mean, we're we're gonna have more conversations as the transfer portal comes up, and I think we we want to continue to kind of explore the what are the deficits in the program. If they're not able to continue to deepen the bench, because again, I'm beating the dead horse with another dead horse. Depth is obviously been one of their Achilles heels the last few years, but, and that's assuming they don't lose anybody, which is actually like Brandon said, my fear. Um, but moving over to U of M, um, so they ended up in the NIT this year. Uh, they won a game, and then they didn't. Uh, what's your postmortem here? I think that's an athletic program that's completely lost. When you get the message, yeah, I mean, one, you end the season in just awful fashion. Then you, then it's, oh, we're not going to anything but the NCAA. Then you change your mind, you go to the NIT, <laughs> doing your first game. And then somehow you lose to, to was the Vanderbilt or whatever it was. Who who? But but I, I, I'll I'll right. tell you what it it, it just it, it the optics of that uh, of the basketball program specifically right now. But in all honesty, it seems like a, a complete athletic program problem. But I don't think we want to get down go down that rat hole at this point. But from a basketball program, I have no idea what's going on there, and it's very apparent that the athletic program doesn't know what's going on. And I I. I, I again, it's a pretty, pretty plain statement. Next year is a Jawan Howard needs to step up year, and he needs his program to step up, 
and they need to be able to to get to the tournament and minimal at minimum get to the Sweet 16. Figure it out, make it happen. Otherwise, step aside. And and but again, with the athletic program where it's at, I don't think. I mean, I'm saying that as Adam Swenson. I'm not saying that as a Michigan fan, or nor am I saying it as a member of the Michigan uh, athletic administration. Yeah, I think it's um, hard to say where where the program's going. Um, over the mat, over the course of about eight years, John Beeline built a particular type of machine uh, that really laid the foundation for Michigan to reemerge as, as something of a on the fence blue blood, if you will. Um, a couple of Final Four runs, a couple of championship games. Um, you know, and really, frankly, a model of recruiting that matched Tom Izzo's quite a bit. Uh, you know, John Beeline favored, you know, more European players than Tom Izzo does, but the, the approach was the same, right? You were going to build veteran teams that could defend and shoot well. And using that model, you know, John Beeline, in my opinion, basically created an equivalency between the two basketball teams in the state of Michigan. You know, Jawan Howard starts, you know, is working with no, a number of NBA caliber players when he takes over the program. COVID year, don't know what was going to happen. They were likely going to make the tournament. And then 2021, he assembles, in my opinion, one of the most talented teams Michigan's had in the last 30 years. And part of that was to his credit, right? He brought in Hunter Dickinson, and he brought in two very good transfer portal players to go with the talent that John Beeline had amassed, and they underperformed. That was a team that should have been in the Final Four of the championship game. And every year, you know, really, and since then, the last two years, you've seen the erosion of some of that solid basketball uh, and some of the fundamental players that John Beeline liked to recruit. And you've in their place, you've seen extremely talented guys come into the program uh, through his recruiting and he is an excellent recruiter, but it's not panning out. There's the cohesion's not there. And in some ways it's actually similar to Oakland, right? It's either, you know, you've got a couple of guys that are, you know, like a Jamal Kane, but he's surrounded by a bunch of kids and, and you can't make it work. And that was kind of the case with Dickinson this year, right? Like, just surrounded by some uber talented players, but too young, no cohesion, didn't fit, you know, um, in my opinion, for both the coach and his son, a bad decision was made for Jet Howard to attend the University of Michigan. Jet Howard should have been at Duke. He should have been at North Carolina. He should have been anywhere that is real, that is a team that is basically taking putting athletes on the court and saying, you're an NBA athlete, just go win the game. And while those teams are doing badly this year, there are many cases in which those teams do quite well. And it, just a guy out of place, you know, a guy that was jacking up threes, clearly the most talented kid on the court most nights, but jacking up threes, no defense, minimal hustle at times, just, a, you know, a freshman five, four or five star didn't fit. And that doomed the team. And, you know, now they're in a place that's sim actually similar to Oakland. Now, well, who are they going to lose? You know, uh, Jeff Howard already declared for the draft. Totally expected. He's going to be a top 15 pick. But Kobe Bufkin could go, too, and he's actually better than Jeff Howard uh, by pretty much any measurable standard except maybe three-point shooting. He could go, too. And if that happens, then they're really in a searching for an identity mode. You know, will Dickinson come back? Probably. Will that, you know, give them a foundation to build from? Sure. But they got some choices. They got some real big choices. He's going to have to use the transfer portal again. Um, and he's going to have to get some better luck. Obviously, they got some bad luck with the – their starting point guard, you know, tearing his ACL early in the year. But I, I think it's uh, – I, I do agree with the sentiment that Jawan's on the hot seat. 
Um, this is a team that, you know, in the last 10 years had only missed the tournament once and had made the Sweet 16 almost every other year, at least. Uh, so, and they are the last Big Ten team to get out of the Sweet 16. And that's a whole other conversation for another day about Big Ten basketball. Well, Big Ten basketball didn't have a good time at this Nor tournament. hasn't had a good time since in about 2019. Years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. I mean, Michigan State made it to the Sweet 16 because Izzo does Izzo magic things or whatever um, and played a uh, somewhat wild game uh, to get knocked out by uh, Kansas State. Um, so what are your thoughts on that one, Adam? I know you had some, uh, some I, thoughts as to what kind of game that was. Well, I mean, Izzo magic, you would think that you'd be able to defend on the baseline better than a ninth grade basketball team. I, I don't, and again, I don't know if it was just players that after about four, five months of sitting listening to Tom Mizzo yelling scream that they just decided in New York City to just give up altogether. I don't know. I mean, and I, I heard, I heard, oh my God, what a classic. And oh, we just talked about the parody in college basketball. And honestly, when you look at that roster, to be honest, I, I think at Michigan State, I mean, there's a large part of me things that it kind of underachieved uh, throughout the whole season. I mean, yes. they, they had a really awesome set of shooters uh, on that team, um, but but there were times that they just they, they looked they they were so absent-minded at times, and between the, the not being able to defend the baseline, and then that that last possession of the game uh, against Kansas State was was incredible. I, I don't I mean like guys, you you need to shoot a three. You have ten seconds. You should have you should have been able to, to go ahead and not just shoot once but twice and you shot nothing you shot nothing and I I know I, I all the Spartans and everyone I had all these stats oh what a great game what a great game and I'm like oh, I I mean literally and and I think you know when we talk about I I got in a conversation last week watching basketball and and it was um with an individual whose son is um, local here and and is in his second year of high school basketball. And he said the one thing he absolutely loves about high school basketball, especially the program that he's in, his son is in, is that the fundamentals are so much stressed, right? And and when you're sitting there, and I, five days later, I'm watching this from the state, just really completely disconnected with anything fundamental with, with basketball, right? And and then I, you know, Noel, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, point guard from Kansas State put on an absolutely awesome performance, but so much of that was aided by just Michigan State. I, I don't know if they just didn't know they had a game that day. I, I don't know, and I, I, I don't know how much of it's Tom Izzo. I don't know how much of it's, um, you know, the players, and, and maybe it was just a really physical game there on Sunday against Marquette, and, and they they weren't prepared to come back. I, I don't know, but I, I, I will tell you, I, I did not think it was as much of a classic as most people thought. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the game. Um, I thought it was a fun game to watch. I thought it was one of the more enjoyable games to watch sure. over the last sure. few years of college basketball, mostly because of the Kansas State side and just the injury and – you know, the, the, you know, the dynamics and the alley-oop and the long threes. And I thought, so it was exciting from that part, but from a fundamentals perspective, no, I mean, the Michigan State defense was horrific. I mean, why didn't you just take Matty Sissoko and just tell him to stand still under the basket? And then it would have, the ball would have at least bounced off his knees or something. 
Or the other kid, Jackson Kohler, is like eight feet tall. Just stand there. Just stand there. Just wait. Let, let it hit you in the stomach. Because the backdoor cuts are just endless. And, you know, this is where I, I really fault Izzo. Because what I expected is Izzo's halftime adjustment to kill that, for the turnovers to go way up. And what you saw, in fact, prior to the injury to Noel is that they were about to knock the Spartans out. Like, they had them on the ropes, and they were about to deliver the final blow. Kid gets hurt. State goes on a big run, and then slowly on one leg, this kid does the exact same thing he had been doing the entire game, and eventually finish. They eventually finish State off. So, no, I think they, this team really, really underachieved. Uh, if you look at their the mix of their size and shooting and defense and their age, you know they should have been a three seed or a four seed in this tournament. And you know the elite eight, I think, would have been you know a good benchmark for them. I mean, they have this is a veteran team. Um, some guys that are, and then you got to had some, a couple of young guys too, who are quite good. Jaden Nakins is going to be a really good player. Um, he had some of those guys too. And so I think it was a, you know, and I was, I think Izzo really dodged the fact that this team underachieved. I know, you know, this university has been through a lot and as has, you know, this team. And so, yeah, I want to, you know, put that into the world as something that can absolutely affect, you know, a bunch of kids that are under 23 or whatever, but, from a, a basketball perspective, this team underachieved. And if you look at the bracket around them now, especially after last night, this team could have been in the championship game. You know, they're capable of beating anybody that's left in that group. Anyone can beat anybody in the remaining eight teams, right? You know, I think Texas is flying a little under the radar and, you know, they may they may have their say. And obviously UConn's very good. But and Michigan State could have absolutely beaten, can beat both of those teams. No, no. I, I, yeah. You know, you look at you look at the region too. I mean, I, I don't want to, I mean, Kansas State, I thought, played good basketball. Mm-hmm. But, and, and this is the wild world we live in, guys, is that I, I'm looking at that game. You know, they, Kansas State now gets four to Atlantic. I, I'm, you know, I mean, in, in a, if, if you're just arriving from 1985 to 2023, you're like, well, obviously Kansas State will <laughs> away, you know, four to Atlantic. But that, that's not a foregone conclusion, no. right? You, you're, you're looking at a nine seat. That right now, for argument purposes, is only a two-point underdog going into the, this game against Kansas State. And a team that has lost only three times out of 35, I believe, this year. Or 36. 34, 34 37. And three. Yeah. 34 and three. Yeah. You know, even at a even as a mid-major, that's an impressive record. Like, well, yes. and, 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 and you know what? This goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I think with and not to bring up Oakland again, but I think Oakland is significantly more challenged to being able to find the talent because of trying to leverage the locality where you get a Ford Atlantic. I mean, Ford is loaded with, with athletes. It, you, you just like going to the grocery store. You just pick a few up and you go through the checkout. And yeah, you I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I wasn't able to follow up on your point earlier on this and how, how good of a point it is. There is one player between Michigan State and Michigan that is a rotation player and a high-quality player from Metro Detroit, and that is Jaden Akins, who is from Farmington Hills. There is not a single other player on either of those teams that's eating up big minutes that's from Metro Detroit, and that says quite a bit right there. It does. Because a lot of the really good athletes from here are going down to places like IMG Academy in Florida if they're that good or other of these max prep schools you know, that are in the South that are just basically shells for, 
preparation for the NBA or high-level college basketball. And so the talent's leaving the region. I, I know of a very specific case where they were uh, the uh, student uh, football player was uh, in a, a very good high school, Michigan high school program, and they they're leaving for St. Francis in Baltimore. And you know the thought is is that if you know they're in a kicker, so it's a little different, I would say. But the whole point being is the expectation is that this young man is on the track of potentially being one of 32 kickers on a Sunday afternoon. So, um, but what do you do? No, you, you, you go do whatever it is to, to, to increase that potential. And, and I, 100%. so, yep. so down to obviously uh, the elite eight, no number one seeds, Texas, the aforementioned, it was number two. They're playing Miami, San Diego state versus Creighton. Um, I mean, Miami is extremely dangerous. So is Creighton. I mean, this is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, these games are going to be the Miami Texas game is going to be an absolute bloodbath. But 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 I guess go back to that person coming in for 1985. They see the final eight uh, of Creighton and San Diego (laughs) State. They're like, come on. Let me get out my 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 literal. Let me let me get out my literal atlas because it's 1985 (laughs) and attempt to locate these two schools on a map. Well, San Diego State, you should be able to locate. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying. um, For Florida Atlantic, uh, I had to look up. I actually didn't even know their mascot name. the hawks, right? Something like that? No. You're close. It's a bird. It's a bird of some kind. Is that the blue jay? No, that's Creighton. Creighton's blue jays. Uh, The owls. Mm, The F-A-U owls. And UConn and Gonzaga is the other game that we have not talked about. Anything else besides bloodbath uh, to offer to this before we wrap things up? I just think there's going to be some great games in the Elite Eight. I'm excited. I am really excited to watch these games. I'm going to almost all of them excite me. Uh, and usually there's a couple of stinkers in the Sweet 16 and the uh, Elite Eight that I don't I don't watch. But this year I have enjoyed almost everything I've watched of these, you know, the the round of 16 and what will be the round of eight. I think it'll be fun. I've also lost all potential dollars and funds from all possible bets uh, thus far this year. I am O for the field. <laughs> Thank you very much, all the teams that I bet on that have fallen apart. I, I don't think you're all low, so I don't think you're you're not uh, including including Michigan State, who I bet to cover, uh, because they should have beat they could have and should have beaten Kansas State. Yeah. yeah. Anywho. Yep, and uh, we'll we'll conclude we'll conclude uh, this section by uh, by the fact that there's a, a dad joke that I cannot resist, which is you know fair Dickinson one. I mean, just think if good Dickinson had showed up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> certainly never showed up in ann arbor so um... <laughs> uh well moving on to the, the well <laughs> we're going to be in the land of disappointment pretty much all show today um to the red wings and um so trade deadline very active trade deadline and um clearly the wings and Steve Eiserman came to the conclusion this was not the season. This was not the season. Uh, so let's go ahead and make some moves. And um, for the first time, really, in his tenure with the wings, I saw some some unhappiness from Red Wing Nation 
as to the moves that he made, the fact that they were giving up on the season, and some real thought like, okay, what are we doing here? I mean, great that we're stockpiling draft picks again, but what does this really mean? So definitely curious as to your takes on that. Well, I, my first hack at this is that I think, especially that trade of, of Verona, right? I mean, that, that was the first, you know, player coming into the season. I think the expectations were pretty high in terms of what he was going to be able to deliver. Oh, um, you know, but as we know, life, life does happen in Verona, you know, got into a, a, a challenging situation. And, you know, the, the organization made, made the decision to, to part ways with him, which I think, you know, disappointing for Ron and disappointing for the Red Wings. And I think it's it almost like a, a little bit of a microcosm of, of how this has gone. I mean, the same thing kind of on kind of the same story with Bertuzzi as well. But I think it's just I, I think with the hockey, being able to develop a hockey organization and especially where this organization was when Steve Eisenman took over. And, and I think maybe uh, where it was is understated in, in terms of, of the interpretation of this team, the, the, the understanding of their, their standing at that point. Um, yes, the patience, and especially too, with the rich history that you've, you've had with the Red Wings, the, the, the slow go at, at, at getting back to what this fan base is familiar with, uh, I can only expect to, you know, create frustration uh, on the side of, of, of the fans. Um, I think it's a little silly, some of the talk of, well, you know, you've given Eichmann five years and he hasn't done anything. Well, I, I think that's a little bit harsh because we know the organization is significantly better than it was when he took over. And the the, the, the future is there. It's, it's less about whether or not the future will be good. The question is more about when it will actually happen. And I think that does get ignored by some of the people analyzing this team. Brandon, what do you think? I think that Troy Weaver infiltrated uh, the Red Wings organization and, you know, it was just like, these guys got to go. I, you know, there is. He's been a, here for at least three weeks. There is a first round draft pick from 2017 that's been a free agent for three years. I want to give him a try. And so I need to get these guys off the books. I think I gotta go. I think that's what happened. No, I, I, I mean, I, you know, was I, I was, I was uh, surprised a little bit by the, I was not surprised by the Bertuzzi move. I will say that. Not at all. Um, that was expected a little bit surprised by some of the other moves, um, you know, disappointed yeah you know i think i said on the last show or the one before that i felt that they had to you know stay about you know eight to ten games above 500 or maybe a little less and really be fighting for the seven eight seed in order for the season to be a success i think the season is not a success i would say that is the first time i will say that about an eiserman team uh, with the wings you know i understand understood their progression this season was a failure point um i'm not to me it's not doom and gloom I, i don't think we're falling off the rails but what are you going to do with the assets? What are you getting this summer? How are you going to move the assets? How are you going to get this team in the playoffs next year? If you don't get this team in the playoffs next year, we got a problem. Yeah, I, I think that is totally fair. Um, you know, what, one of the criticisms that I've seen is just, okay, what are we doing with all these draft picks? Well, Eisenman has been wildly successful with draft picks. So yep. it does not bother me that he's going out and getting draft picks. Bertuzzi, and I know a lot of folks liked him. I mean, he's a 
good hockey player, rugged, you know, has some scoring touch, having a rough season, although he's been injured um, a couple of times, they could not come to contract terms with him. So it was time to move him. I mean, that there was no other play there. Um, and Eisman did the one thing he absolutely had to do, which was sign Dylan Larkin to a long-term contract. That got taken care of. He moved Bertuzzi, Sundquist, a couple of their little things along those lines. Uh, Verana, of course, which he basically just gave away. Uh, but what else were you going to do in that circumstance? That's probably the biggest negative in all of this. The one that really, really shocked me, though, was the Hronic trade. Uh, because this is a team, and we've talked about... Um, they're not deep on defense. And yeah, Wallman has had a really nice year, kind of a breakout year for him that was unexpected. Some of the other guys have been very solid. We know Cider is going to be, even though he and Raymond have not had as good of years this year, it's their sophomore slumps, not even remotely worried about them long-term. But but Philip Bronick is having a terrific season, an absolutely outstanding season still under contract for a couple of seasons. So that one kind of blew me away. Uh, now, the Wings get a first and second round draft pick for Ronick and um, a fourth round pick from next year. So, I mean, they got a good haul for him. Just really shocking to me, given their dearth of talent on the blue line. And I don't know what they're doing to fix that. So... That's my big question uh, coming out of all of this. But I think that's yeah. a really fair point, Brandon, is that they got to make the playoffs. I mean, that's got to happen by next season. Yeah, I mean, I, and obviously the Ronic, Ronic trade yielded the highest return of all the deals that they made and uh, what they got back. But, you know, I agree that Eisman has done well in the draft. I'm not, I'm not interested in draft picks. I'm interested yeah. in how he's going to move those picks with potentially other players to secure top four defensemen and top six forwards or a backup goaltender and it's not a sieve. Like, <laughs> move the assets, get good players. It's a veteran free agent class coming up, which there's some upside and some downside to, but you could take a flyer on a couple of these guys, older guys, that are going to be on the market in 2023, you know, like you did David Perron, which is great. Uh, right. Better sign them too, better spend money, better move these picks, or you're we're heading down the downslope. Yeah. And I and I think he will. I mean, I think he will. I still believe that he's one of the top ten GMs in hockey, and that he will get this team to the playoffs. But gotta do it next year, for sure. And we'll talk more about um, free agency when uh, when we get closer to the end of the season. Um, so I, I do have some concerns, uh, continuing concerns as it pertains to defense, but we'll we'll jump on that later. Um, next in the disappointment whirlwind, um, be the Detroit Tigers. Um, and well, obviously, you know, spring training has been, been going on world baseball classic. There, there, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, but just starting, you know, with spring training, you know, hope springs eternal, but I don't think anybody is, um, 
really thinking the Tigers are going to be any good this season. And spoiler alert, they're not. Um, that's that goes without saying. Um, they just don't they don't have the depth. Um, they don't have the talent on this roster, and there really isn't anything the Tigers can do at the moment to change that. Um, will the season be better than last year? I actually think yes. Um, because I think you're going to see not as many, even though we're starting the season with three starting pitchers on the disabled list, I think it's not going to be anywhere nearly as bad. Um, I mean, that's, it's I feel like we've had, to say, but I feel like you've said that the last three, four seasons. I think maybe. I feel like we, we've said that. I, and, and I mean, I don't know what the problem is, but but I mean, it's... Well, uh, I would say up, up till this year, it wasn't clear that the Tigers have ever used medical personnel to evaluate anyone, ever. <laughs> well, that's, you know what? That's one of the two things, one of the two big things we need to talk about here is now with uh, Job going down, probably going to miss most of the season, if not all of it, particularly with a young arm, even though it's a back injury. Uh, I those, mean, are, those are great for athletes, especially young ones, too. And and I mean, how how does this happen? And, and at the same time, you know, and so Dingler uh, has a knee injury, had to have knee surgery. Uh, so he's going to start the season, obviously, um, on the disabled list in the minors. They were really looking at him to play every day in Toledo this year to see if he was ready to come up. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Tigers catching situation. But um, it... Here's the thing. There were two things that absolutely blew me away during this offseason. One of them being the fact that it was revealed that Casey Mize had back surgery along with Tommy John surgery uh, for a ongoing lumbar issue that he's been dealing with for many years. That was alarming to me. That was alarming to me. Um. <laughs> Because one of two things is going on here. Either one, they knew about it when they drafted him, which makes me very sad. Uh, or two, it's something he developed in his time with the Tigers. And he's not the only one. Um, and again, <laughs> we've seen it over and over again these past few years of how the medical staff was really focused. And, and we've heard this from players. They were really focused on treating injuries, not preventing them. And while they had, you know, the equipment and the means to do the rehabs properly and all of those things, preventing them is more important. Um, and then the other thing that was absolutely stunning, and Brandon sent this to me a few weeks ago, was Matt Manning saying, talking about how what he was taught in the minor leagues as a tiger was to do whatever it took to move to the next level by being successful. Okay. That makes sense. Right. But if that meant it was at the detriment of his secondary pitches, like his curveball, they were still coaching him. Well, then just throw your fastball because they knew his fastball could blow anybody away in a ball. They weren't developing his secondary pitches because the minor league strategy was just move up as quick as you can. That that's unconscionable if you're in baseball. Um, that's not how you do it. 
And, it, and there's two things I will say to that. One is one of the things that I really enjoyed about the fact when the Tigers brought on Rick Gardenhire and Rick Anderson was the fact that when they were with the Twins, they had a program from rookie ball to the majors of how they attack the strike zone. And, and they were big on attacking the strike zone and exactly how to do it. And that was one of the things that I said here at the time was you need that coordinated program throughout the minor leagues to be successful. And I was excited by that, but clearly that wasn't happening, one. And secondly, um, and I've been rambling so long, I don't even remember what my second point was. But It was, br- it was brilliant, though. I can say that. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I do. You know I what, do. though? And I, I, I want to jump in on that point because what that tells me, what, I don't my initial reaction when I'm listening to you talk about what Matt Manning said is, and I think that was your second because the first one was you were talking about the injuries and whatnot in your second. But point. I was branching off into oh, a, okay. yet another second point. But, 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 but excellent, excellent. Um, but, but, but that, to me, that reeks of Al Avila, Avila, and the way he was running this organization. Because I think the pressure was getting bad, probably. And he's like, oh, oh, yes, that was my other second point. Was This is something we've talked about, is this was an organization with rabbit ears. Uh, and we had talked about that, how Avila was very sensitive, and the organization was very sensitive to criticism. And well, they had a funny way of resolving that. <laughs> Look, I didn't say it was smart. Um, and if if this this was an absolute criticism, and and me, you know, I, I I'd be accused of being you know an Alavila slappy, but this is even something I criticized when with Daz Cameron when they wouldn't demote him to Double A when he was having a really rough year in Toledo. And part of the reason given for that is, again, from inside the organization, was they didn't want to make it look like there was a failure with the Verlander trade. So you're not doing what's in the best interest of the player and the organization so that you can maintain optics of some sort in a dumb way. So it's 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 even worse than what we thought. And that just... I'm just waving my arms right now because and and and, and I'll tell you, Justin and, and Brandon, the other thing that really reeks at this point is you had an excellent manager and Ron Garden hire for this organization, and I'm going to go out on the limb and go. You brought the guy in, and like bad management, you didn't let him do his part, which is not only be at the major league level, but then filter it down to to the to, to the lower part. That, that's where that, it sounds like Avila was trying to manage everything in the organization. And you almost wonder now, last season, if he was so married because he, you know, his latest idea was data analytics and they were going to live and die by the data analytics last year. And that, you know, might've been the final nail in the L Avila coffin last year. And I, I, I I'm curious again, you know, with with the manager that, that we have and, and how good he is, 
is it was he given the opportunity to do what he needs to do in order to get this this team moving in the right direction? And I, I just ugh. I don't know because I think Hinch was a big part of the data move. To be honest with you, uh, based on again on the stuff that I've heard and various interviews and podcasts, and, and, and I'm not I'm not saying Avila wasn't all. I mean, he deserved to be fired. Right, just just leaving that out there, but I'm worried about Hinch too, to be honest. Right, but my and again, I think data analytics absolutely has to be used. Hundred percent. The question is, is Hinch smart enough to understand the balance? You know, and and I I just wonder if if Avila was like, no, we we got to go buy exactly this, rather than Hinch going, I, I, I need this is in my toolbox. And now, now maybe he has a better opportunity to, to balance the two between the feel of the game, the instincts, the, the more natural thing, and you know the the you know obviously the data analytics. I, Brandon, um, you've been mostly quiet during this. Yeah, Anything I mean, I, not necessarily on this, you know topic that we haven't covered like um you know my my questions are really more about where is this like where where are we like if you were to say i I don't know where to yeah but but even then like there are characteristics to a bottom feeding team in the mlb that you can't even say is true about this team anymore they are despite the fact they're not going to be good this year they are in a very weird place in terms of where their player development is and in terms of where their veteran players on the roster are and and that is really just is what's bizarre to me, uh, and that I'm trying to understand is what 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 is the trajectory? Like I understand they're not going to be great this year. I think it'll be a better year than last year by almost every metric possible. I think, but what what does that mean for two years from now? I, I, where are we going? And I think what, with Harris, Harris thing, you know? being new, I don't know that he's figured it out yet. I mean, generally speaking. He knows what he wants to do, but I, I do think... I, I guess... Yeah, I mean, I'll ask my question in a more direct way, which is the topic I want to talk about is, are we on the precipice of another blow-up rebuild? That is what I'm wondering. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. And I mean, that, and that is where I am. I, I, I'm not suggesting we should do that. I would certainly not enjoy that as a season ticket holder, but, like, is that where we are? I think you really have to let the season play out before you, you go in that direction. Because I think, it, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you're looking at the guys that are on the team, Spencer Torkelson, Miley Green, we, we can talk, you know, Austin, uh, you know Parker Meadows, O'Keefe. And we, we've, there are actually pieces that could be good. And I, I think the, the, the question, is, and I think what will answer your question question brandon will be september where where has it has this organization has this organization righted the ship have have you righted the ship in a way that that then you can kind of see a little bit of daylight i think the other thing too is when you look at the picture okay and, and again, I do this every year. I sound like Peter Gammons, 1985. You know, if Milt Wilcox and Walt Carroll could well, yada, yada, yada. If, 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 if. I'm pretty sure million... Wilcox had retired by that point. 1985? Yeah. 
Didn't he? It's not eighty four. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm de- I'm derailing. Living in eighty five. But but you look at the pitching staff, right? You know, you you got a Spencer Turnbull coming back, right? You have an Eduardo Rodriguez who has thrown excellent during the spring, right? And it seems like the clock is something in his favor, which I know mm-hmm. we'll get to the clock in a minute, right? Oh yes. Um, you know, so I think there are pieces to lead me to believe that a rebuild is not necessary and more about just continuing to build the foundation. I, that's, that's, and, and honestly, guys, I actually really do based on my reading, based on my watching a couple of videos. I think the guy that will definitely turn his season around here will be a Spencer Wilson. I, I really heartily believe between the moving of the fences in, just not much, but enough. And I think, Back of last week, he was leading everyone in spring training with hits over 110 miles an hour. And there was a very, very good explanation as, uh, as to why he was not hitting fastballs at all very good last year. Because it had been five years since he saw a fastball. Um, and, uh, you know, he saw a lot of fastballs as a freshman at Arizona State. Then they absolutely said, we're not pitching him a fastball to save his life uh, for his sophomore, junior year. There wasn't much of a season for his senior. Then he goes into the first year, and, and he probably anything that was a fastball wasn't much of a major league fastball in, in A. And by the time he got into uh, this, he had no idea what to do with it. And it appears, based on video and whatever, he's hitting the fastball more effectively at this point. I, and again, I think it's still going to take time for him to really take a fastball and, and whap it out of the park. But I, I just, I think there will be, I think the optics on this team will look a lot better in September. And I, maybe I'm going on a limb saying a lot better. I'm not saying they're going to be a great team this year. I think they might be, you know, arguably good at times. But, and, and yes, they'll definitely be improved. But I think, again, the optics, so I, I don't believe a rebuild is going to be necessary. Here's here's what's driving. This is my, this is what I wanted to add. Like, when we think about where the Tigers are, there's a couple, and, and, and by the way, I'm not doing this to like overemphasize the point that they're going to be bad. That's not the purpose of why I'm going to run, run down this list to you. And I actually agree with what a lot of Adam said. And I actually don't think a lot of what I'm going to read off is going to be fully accurate by the end of the year, but nevertheless. So <clears throat> it's baseball list time, right? Starts with baseball America and then all the other, you know, the websites do it right. MLB top 100, no Tigers on the list. Uh, thanks, Javi Baez. You should be on that list. ESPN Top 100, no Tigers. ESPN 50 Breakout Prospects to Watch, no Tigers. CBS Top 50 Prospects, no Tigers. CBS Breakout Player Possibilities, no Tigers. MLB.com, Top 100 Prospects, Jackson Job, Summer 63, back injury. <clears throat> couple other guys in the in the 80s and 90s, Flores and one other guy. Um, Wow. Two years ago, Baseball America, five Tigers in the top 25 prospects. Three in the top 10, I believe. Yes. Mize was 11. But yes, same, oh, okay. you know, it doesn't matter, right? You know what I mean? Torkelson, Green, Mize, Manning, they were all in the top 25. Right? And so you have nobody on the top 100 list, and you got nobody sniffing the top 50 of the top MLB prospects. And hell, I even went to fantasy sleeper lists. Like, anybody there? Matt Vierling came up on one list. And, and I don't say this to say, like, oh, they should be winning 80 games this year. But, like, wow. Because two years ago, you could say, 
This is a team executing a rebuild. They have loaded up on prospects. You can see that outline. You can see even, you know, because one of these assessments, the ESPN top 50 breakout prospects was truly a nerded out, like upper minors, lower minors. Like it was a truly a full scrub of, of, of analytics across minor league talent and no tigers. Right. And so it's not just about the mises, but it's even going like, well, here's a guy in double a that's just got wicked numbers. You know, and he might not have been a high draft pick, but, you know, you can expect something from him. Not to see any Tigers on that list either, right? I mean, and so that's where I'm saying, like, do I think, well, the Tigers could have a guy in the top 100 list? Yes, I do. I do think some of these guys are going to bounce back. Wow. That, to me, says a team without an identity. Because when you look at the Central, Twins, multiple players on the top, MLB 100. Royals, even a player. You know, Minnesota, Chicago, many, many players on those lists. Tigers, the only team in the Central without a guy on any of these lists. Mm-hmm. that's crazy to me that is crazy to me but it's accurate it, it yeah. really is accurate and you're right javi bias should be there but he's the guy he's yeah. it um eduardo rodriguez could be yeah. um and well here's the thing is the tigers brought up all the talent all that talent that was making them a top farm system for x number of years and all of, it's 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 here and so now it's what is it going to be? I think Riley Green is going to be, and I've been saying this forever, exceptional. I think he's going to be the guy we talk about forever. Okay. Yeah. Berkelson, as much as I've been ridiculed in the past on this program for talking about exit velocity, uh, his exit velocity statistics, as Adam mentioned, have been outstanding. He had five. What was it? He had a string of five straight hits uh, over 105 miles an hour with an expected batting average of 920, and he was over five. Sometimes you get bad luck. Bottom line is Torkelson, I think, still think it's going to be fine. A little nervous, but I still think it's going to be fine. Um, Scooble was having a tremendous year last year before he got hurt. If he is able to bounce back, that's a, a top end arm. Mize, who knows? He could be a bust. I don't know. Uh, that's the first time I've said that. And he could still come back and be a very, very solid pitcher. I, I don't know. Manning, jury's still out. He obviously has flashes. But there you go. There's the majority. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple people. But but that's it. And no, they don't. They don't have any serious depth after that. Okay, and as much. Okay. No, go ahead. I was going to say, as much as people were raving like during. Um, spring training about Parker Meadows, which is great to see him fill out and really start to play the way that that was the expectation when he was drafted, you know, a number of years ago. I'm not falling over myself over 40 at bats in spring training. And I know a lot of people, because I read all the different message boards and some are, are very, very high level, some not, but people are just ripping the organization for not keeping Meadows, but 40 spring training at bats. He's barely touched AAA. If he if he even has played, I actually don't know off the top of my head. Okay, let's not let's not get ourselves uh, worked up. Okay, because by the same token, if you're very excited about his numbers in in 40 at bats, let me tell you um, so that we can have a Castro corner um, for this episode. Willie Castro in 40 at bats is slashing. 273, 400, 576. Okay. Are you really excited about Willie Castro? No, you probably aren't. Uh, although I expect that he's going to 
you know, he'll make the twins and probably will haunt the Tigers for the rest of his career. Like he's that he's got the makings of that. My point being spring training for the most part doesn't mean crap. Great to see. Great to see him succeed. Really excited to watch him in AAA this year. Very excited. But I mean, the only thing I was really going to add is, and again, it's there's time. We need to be patient and give these guys time. But when you think about when I when I think about the rebuild, the other thing I think about is okay, there is a limited window in some sense to know about the guys like Green and Tarkelson and Justin's not going to like this because I'm I'm going to push a little bit on the age thing here. But when you look at the MLB top 100 list, there are multiple guys in the top 20 that are 25 and younger. And I understand that Torkelson and Green are still younger than that, but these guys were also on this list last year and maybe the year before as they were building up. I'm not saying any of those guys, our guys should be in the top 15, but Soto, Rodriguez obviously is the youngest. You know, you got Jordan Alvarez in Houston, right? So pretty soon, if those guys don't start to get up into that territory, to me, you are rebuilding again. Well, that's fair. Um, yeah, they're not Soto. Clearly, neither of them are exceptional like that but you're right they have to start now is the time they have to start performing that yeah i would never argue because the grace period has passed put up or shut up now and i just worry to your point justin you've been making the whole show is that the develop the lack of development is going to ultimately create another window kind of it's kind of we're talking about this across all these teams where it's like they can't get the right fit of talent together at the right time to be good and i worry that these guys some of them will be on very good mlb players are going to then become the outcast and the outliers that were all dealt off this team you know five six seven years ago to get where we are now you know there is part of me that's very nervous about that as i'm watching again Spring training doesn't mean much, but I'm watching these cast-offs from the Tigers. Especially the arms. Very good. Especially worrying about the arms. It's like... Getting sold off. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scoobble. Absolutely. Those kind of guys, you know, if the the team's not turning it around and they're recycling to a rebuild, a lot of those guys are going to get dealt, especially the arms. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I think we'll see Fulmer come back to bite us at some point. And I understand why they traded him, don't get me wrong. But, um... It just, I'm watching Daz Cameron hit the hell out of the ball, and I'm like, in spring training, and I'm like, hmm? <laughs> like, what? that's very surprising to me. It just makes me nervous. And who knows? Maybe it's nothing. One, one thing to point out, too, Parker Meadows is the same age as Spencer Carlson, right? So, of course, mm-hmm. Parker went through the whole um you know, the the, uh, um, you know, the minor league route or just the college route. And I think the one thing I, I heard uh, Dan Dickerson, and by the way, one of my favorite Tigers of all time, I mean, and by no means does me a statue, but I, I camera made, but it was outstanding on the radio with Dan Dickerson, mm. by the way. I look forward to that. Nice, nice. Uh, but with, with and, and, and Cameron and, and Dan specifically talked about Parker Meadows, they're, they're very, I mean, they, they said that, you know, he seemed to be by far the best physical shape that, that he's finally, you know, everything is st- starting to really kind of get organized in terms of all moving in the right direction. And uh, 
they both seem very positive about what Parker Meadows would eventually be able to do on this team. And, uh, you know, the other guy I, I, I hope is comes back because last year was just brutal. And especially after we raved and raved about the trade, but Austin Meadows, I, that, that's another guy that I think if they can, if he's righted the ship, that can yeah. make you get to September and go, okay, okay, finally, we got some traction here. And I just, I, I just think there's a lot of pieces on this team. And with hopefully the organization more on the same page about how to get, get these players developed, we can hope that by yeah. September, the outlook and is better. And I think all of that's fair. And I, I actually think Austin Metal is going to be okay. But it, it's the what if that really scares me because oh, I yeah. think there are many, many, many opportunities for what you're describing to be true. And I think some of them will be true. But to me, if they're not, you are you are getting dangerously close to entering a period of historically bad, a historically bad run that can just kind of extend out over time. And all of a sudden you're the Bengals who don't win a playoff game for 30 years or the Royals and their big down run. You know, the Tigers themselves had a terrible run in the nineties and early two thousands for the most part. Like I just fear that we're creeping in that area. And that's, that's frankly just not the way of sports anymore to our point earlier about parody and the quickness of turnarounds. We talked last year about a mind numbingly long article about the duration of rebuilds and, and all that. Cause so it's just not as, not as long. And we're starting to, to bump up against that before, for the Tigers, the wings might not be far behind. And then, you know, there's the clown car of the best and, and, and you know what they're doing. So I did not put them on the list today. I, I, I no, no, we don't have this. We don't have the strength. We don't have, the we don't No. Um, so that, I, I think I've, I've beaten the dead horse with two dead horses. So, but, uh, <laughs> a lot of you know, glue, I, just, lot of glue. I, I think whether or not, you know, Justin and I agreed on Avila in the past, I think what we did all agree on was the Tigers had a progression. There was a linear progression to a place, and now I can't. I don't understand the prog- where where the linear progression is for the team, and that's what scares me. Yeah, you know the thing that struck me about Meadows is that he Parker is that he had um, he had been going to the Blank Lampman School of needing to eat a sandwich, and clearly he ate some sandwiches because he looked like a different human in spring training yeah. this year. So, yeah. um. <laughs> One thing I will say is Tigers have a lot of bullpen arms. They're going to have some major league arms in Toledo. Um, that's exciting. I'm I'm pleased about that. They're probably going to need them given the injuries. <laughs> um, we got that going for us. Um, the other thing that I wanted to get to was just um, pitch clock and any early takes on that. I'm a big fan of speeding up the the pace of the game. I think the pace of the game is brutally slow. Mm-hmm. I think that you know having games in the two and a half hour range are much more to the liking of of lots and lots of people. I um, consider myself a baseball purist, and I love the concept of a two and a half hour baseball game. <laughs> look at you! I'm so proud of you. Thanks. Um, no, I, I He's think only saying have... that because once we hit the three-hour mark, I get very whiny, and I start to like <laughs> jostle in my chair, and I start to fidget, and I'm like, you know, there's there's 66 games under 500. Like, what are we doing here? I'm gonna go find food, and so Justin's really just reacting to that pressure that I'm putting on, you know, in in mid-August when it's 98 degrees and the and the Guardians are up nine to two. In the <laughs> 
rational, <laughs> like a cat. I'm next just to like. Him. <laughs> <laughs> but we might get to see Ryan Kreisler pinch it. So. <laughs> That's really unfair to him, by the way. You, you, you know, what's funny, too, is I, I, in my many years of going to baseball and Tiger games, I, I have to chuckle. I, I, I wonder if Mark Porcello would come back just because of the clock. Because he, he was the guy that, I mean, if it was up to him, the game would be about an hour and a half. And I did. I went to Duck a couple of Porcello too. games. Mm-hmm. That's why we loved. So my wife and I have talked about this. Is we always loved going to the Doug Fister games, and we hated going oh. to the David Price games. Yep, yep. And, and in fact, this was this was a conversation. Literally, I had um, dinner with my in laws last week, and we all talked about how much we hated the David Price games um, because Price and I, I believe I even snarkily commented in various ways in social media about his progression to throw a pitch. Um, I, that's not good for the sport. It's not. No. no um, I, so I'm all for the clock. I think it's a little strict, but I think they had to be coming out of the gate. Spring training is exactly the time you do it, so they're doing it right. Um, and I think it should be nowhere to be found in the playoffs. That is my other thing. And the reason for that, look at the World Baseball Classic. World Baseball Classic had no pitch clock. And was still exciting baseball. It was great. They were great games. Um, you don't need a pitch clock for playoff baseball. Just like you get rid of the clown car rule, thank God. Um, for regular season, I get it. It's 162 <laughs> games. That's a long season. That's a little different. Playoffs, absolutely not. So that's my two cents on that one. Tend to think if you're going to do it in the regular season, just continue to have it go through. And I, I, I understand that this is where you're, yeah. you're being a traditional baseball person. I, I think if you're going to do it in the regular season, let's just have it all go through. And I, I think that the other thing too is this week is that you know you're putting the, the, the playoffs or the marquee product, right? And if you're going to, um, and, and, and part of, of you trying to sell that product is trying to shorten the game. Playoff games are brutally long, in my estimation, and 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 I think in order for you to get that that the the the, the fabric, the fan the fan foundation back, you're you're going to have to maintain it one hundred percent. So, just don't let them put the clown car rule into the playoffs, please, for the love of God. I just just no. Please don't start with a runner on second next innings. I, just... I would I would argue that that would be the most egregious rule change of the last you know hundred years in any major sport. Mm-hmm. If they did that in the playoffs, that would be the absolute worst rule change I could ever think of. And there's been some doozies across all four big ones over the years, you know. Um, but wow, would that be catastrophic. so stupid? Yeah. I, I I can't even I can't even fathom it. Yeah. Any uh, any commentary on the World Baseball Classic? It was fun. It was good it, games. It, it it was fun, sure, but I, I have to tell you, you've got to figure out a better time of year for that. I, I yeah. one yeah. from yeah, a yeah. viewership standpoint, it was just bizarre. 
I, 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 you know, you got these great games on, but hey, by the way, you got the NCAA, you know, tournament going on. And I think from a player and injury standpoint, I can't think of a worse time of year to have that. I, I, and I mean, Met fans, I mean, here you are, you go out, you, you dish out big bucks for, um, you know, for, for starting pitching. And now, you know, Edwin Diaz is not going to be, you know, available. I, I, I just, it, it well, and I mean, they said because of the insurance rates on players, it's very possible that was the last the last WPC, or they're going to have to way rethink when they're going to have that because you, yeah. this is an awful, awful, awful time of year to have that happen. So, it does remind me of one thing. One last thing I wanted to say, um, which is baseball, which is riding a high right now with the rule changes, the positive progression of game time shortening and the WBC is really, really doing its best work to make games as hard to watch as possible, which, I mean, that's a great marketing strategy. Um, that, that's not a topic I want to get into today, but my God, they got to get rid of the blackout rule. Um, I mean, for the love of God, and um, they need to make sure that games are accessible on television and with the company that owns the Bally sports franchises filing for bankruptcy. And if you want to read more into that story, I invite you to, I could dissect that a little bit deeper into the just absolute silliness that was going on there. Um, it's like, come on guys. Yeah. Come on. Why, why do we hate all of the commissioners of all the sports? I don't understand. It just seems like Manfred has really done a, a bang-up job um, trying to damage the marketability of the game. I don't know. That's all I got. Anything? Yeah, I mean, oh, go the, ahead. The, value, the valuations of these teams is about to astronomical. I mean, so much of the Yankees' valuation is tied to their contract with their with their provider. Mm-hmm. Tigers I don't are know valued. How, I don't know how this happens. I, I don't know how this happens. Tigers are valued at one point five billion dollars. I mean, I, the sport is going to run into some things. It's going to have some rough times, but but they grossed even during the down twenty twenty aside uh, ten point seven billion in twenty one. I mean, I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty decent, and it is worth noting massive steps forward for minor league players as well which is so overdue it's it's embarrassing um but any last baseball thoughts before we move on to our least just if if neither of you have or if anyone listening hasn't go watch the app app between otani and mike trout yeah great just great just ridiculously great and that pitch that he struck him out on a slider just disgusting. <laughs> ah, that's just no fair. That's just no fair. That was not fair. No human could have hit that pitch. So. Javi Baez uh, might have thought he could have, though. <laughs> He'd have tried. He would have spun himself out of the box, Rich Jackson don't think, style. I don't think if he had a canoe... That he was holding in his hand over the plate, he could have hit that pitch. 
Well, he's got an elephant in his hands. I got six. Aren't there videos out there of just Javi Baez swinging at pitches down and away? <laughs> Feel free to go check one of those out, folks. Anyway, um, heading off to one last disappointment land in the Lions. Um, any thoughts on free agency signings, all that good stuff? My personal opinion, the secondary is measurably better than it was. In fact, I think it's, it's beyond measurably better than it was last year. And I think obviously that was the the perceived weakness on, on the team. Um, and uh, they, they went ahead and, and I mean, in many ways, uh, I think you can argue they basically resolved it, right? I mean, they, they went out and got Cameron Sutton um, and uh, who, you know, sounds, and then they went out and picked uh, Emmanuel Mosley, um, two guys. And then, uh, and, and then after that, they uh, come out, the, the uh, guy from the Eagles, CJ, um, when, when you look at those transactions, right, I, I think that, you know, you, you can only walk away with the impression that, that you've, you've taken care of your biggest weakness by, by a large margin. Um, David Montgomery running back from the Chicago Bears, they went out, you know, that means that Jamel Williams will not be coming back. That ended up being a bit of a soap opera. I think based on how that soap opera turned out, that turned out pretty good. I think you bring in a guy in David Montgomery who's a lot better coming out of the backfield, touching the ball. This is something that Jamel Williams was not very good at. And I, I have a feeling that with this coaching staff, David Montgomery can be, be able to figure out any shorter shortcomings that he may have in, in the passing uh, protection game, uh, pass blocking uh, uh, game. Um, and I think on this particular team, it'll be very interesting to see how effective he is. I think, um, I, I and and I I think also from a draft standpoint that I would not be surprised if this team goes out and, and picks a running back, um, maybe even and two. Th- this is my this is my main my only criticism was the Montgomery deal, and not because I don't think David Montgomery isn't a good running back, and not because I don't think he's not going to be a better pass catcher. I actually think that he is going to do just fine because of the offensive line. But that's the point. Why? So you already have DeAndre Swift. Why do you need to spend $18 million on this guy? And I would say the same is true for Williams too, right? Like, you're telling me you can't, you can't go get a second-round running back to run behind this offensive line with DeAndre Swift and be okay? You had to spend that money to go out and get a guy like this? Like, I don't get it at all. I, I mean, it, it must speak to how little they think of Swift. Like, well, I don't do think I, I don't free signing to do this. Well, go draft a running back. No, and, and they are. And, uh, and, and the reason Pacheco that, for the Chiefs, like go get a guy like that with this no, offensive no, no. line. Holy hell! You're you're, you're absolutely correct. I I, I think I, I think the thing with Montgomery was they viewed their team as really not having much. Of, I mean, I think DeAndre Swift at this point he has one more year left on his contract for a million bucks. You can't trade him. No one's gonna trade for him and they're not going to give you anything and you might as well you know what you're going to ride the deandre swift train next year because he's going to try his best to to and, and he he will definitely play as much as he can in order to, to have some sort of formulation of a contract offer from anyone after the season and i think uh, yeah, and, and i think with david montgomery specifically he, he fit that niche 
for them because they were not going to go out and get a Josh Jacobs or, or spend that money, which no one yeah. is spending that money, obviously. And honestly, once you get past Montgomery and you look to who was after that from a free agency standpoint, there is no one that you want. I, I, I agree with. And and right. I really liked Jamal Williams. I think he was good for the locker room, but on the, the money he got, I don't think he was worth a multi-year deal. No. Yeah, you know, I take your point on Swift, um, you know, and I get that the probably even cutting Swift wasn't going to be advantageous to them from a cap perspective. So no. that's ultimately why they were forced into this move. But boy, would I would rather see either Swift in a draft pick or Montgomery in a draft pick um, oh, I, I, versus, I, I, versus this construction. No, no, but but I think what you're going to get is you're going to you have Craig Reynolds already. You, you're signing to do a minimum. You have uh, you you have Swift for one more year, and that's how he's going to be. He's going to be gone after this year. He'll go to some other team. They're not going to keep him. Trust, trust oh, for me. Sure. But but they're going to take advantage of Swift needing to be a, a good running back. You have Montgomery, and then you're going to draft some, right? And 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 so the only money that you're really giving a running back at that point is the money that you're giving Montgomery, because otherwise, the, whoever they bring in, especially with the whoever that they pick them, is going to be. 100 like there's gonna be a three four year contract for basically less than a million dollars a year i i, I in the end it's not terrible no, where it's i think terrible where, where brad holmes has and he the, the, this team has done a great job no i i think they've done a really good job in free agency where i have heartburn at this point is i cannot expect jared golf to play all 17 games like he did last year and Getting going out, getting Nate Treadfeld basically completely telegraphs what you're planning on doing. You're drafting a quarterback. It may be at six, maybe at 18, maybe the second round, but you are drafting a quarterback and you're drafting a quarterback high. Yep. And um, I, I just, I don't think that that, and, and he called himself out on that situation. And then not to go out and get a, a, a good, formidable backup quarterback was as of March 25th. A bit of a head track. So, great. Yeah. What What is very obvious to me, by the way, is where this team is at. I'm, I'm, you know, and and what I'm very curious about, and we'll talk about it way down the road, but I'll put it out there as a little bit of a five cent thought. They are absolutely putting themselves at this point pinning themselves as the favorite in the NFC Central and arguably the second best team in the conference behind the 49ers. And the question is, how are they going to do with that pressure? Because that's totally different than anything that they had going into, you know, into any season in in the last several years. Yeah, I can remember... I mean, God, maybe they've been picked to win the NFC North twice in the last 25 years. I mean, Correct. You know, something that like much. that, maybe. Yeah, that you, much, have, right? yeah, no. you have put the, the onus and everyone's back in this organization that that's what's going to happen. So, I think Justin said you, so. I was going to say that's scary. Um, yeah. Look, this is brand new to me, this whole um, video thing and uh, and microphone thing. I think right. I was supposed to do, do ping you, and I, I, I didn't think it, but I yeah. saw you and talking. There's been a lot of chatter about 1985 today. And I think there has been. There has been a lot of chatter about 1985. 
Um, and by the way, that reminds me, Adam, I have to stand corrected. The fact check department came back and told me I was wrong. Milt Wilcox was on the 85 Tigers. He started in oh, yeah. eight games um, before being injured and released at the end of the 85 season. So I had forgotten that. And he actually pitched in 86 for another team. So I stand corrected. Um, well, I think we should talk about Mark LaForest, who was the backup goalie for the Red Wings in 1985. He went 4-21, the internet tells me, with a goals against average of 5. And so let's, <laughs> let's devote some time to him. Was Eddie Neal on that team? He was on that team. He went 2-7 and seven with a goals against average of 6.33 and a save percentage of uh, 81%. So funny story about it. You, if the Red Wing games in 85, you could have easily fit everyone attending at Joe Lewis in Oakland's University Basketball Arena. Yeah, pretty much. I So I remember going to a game in 85, Eddie Mio was the goaltender. He played a fantastic game. Wings came from behind. He made a couple of huge, big, huge saves to, to tie the game in the third. He made a couple of huge saves. The whole place, all 3,000 of us were chanting, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. And then, in overtime, their defenseman <laughs> fired one in from behind, from behind the red line, and he whiffed on it five hole. And the game ended. And so that must have been one of the games that contributed to Randy Ladoser's negative fifty-five plus minus that year. Ladoser, by the way. Ladoser. Apologies. <laughs> We know the Lavisher family is listening to this, so we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to stand corrected on uh, on the uh, the Milt Wilcox thing. Also, real quick, Zips projects the Tigers to win seventy one games this year. Seems reasonable. I'm hoping. I'm hoping for more. I'm I'm really I'm hoping for that seventy five to eighty spot. I just I'm hopeful. Yeah, for sure. Um we got the Masters coming up. Any um quick thoughts on that before we get out of here? My takeaway is Scott and Chef were bust, right? I mean, go back to the players championship and I, I don't know what sport he was playing versus everyone else, but it, it was a completely different game. I mean he of course, that was tearing up everyone, and, and and Scotty was just like a casual Sunday out at Maple Lane. You know, I mean, it just I I don't know. It was a really a, a an interesting thing to watch. Um, I know that uh, John Rahm is, you know, he looked like unbelievable. But of course, after I drafted him first in my fantasy golf draft, of course he fell apart. So of course that's but and and I honestly, it looks like. Um, you know, maybe Roy McIlroy after this weekend has kind of righted his ship a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's the one for him, right? I mean, he's, he, that would give him the, the, the career uh, grand slam. Um, but I, I, I think those are the, the, the names off the top of my head. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and the, the, the last thing, Sir Brandon, the last thing will be really that, that story of, of guys like, you know, Cam Smith and, and the guys from the leave stepping on in and, and, and playing and, and finding out how exactly that, that all shakes out. Sorry, Brandon. No, 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 no. I, I, I think, it, you know, kind of handicapping these majors is becoming extremely difficult. 
There's just so much talent at the top. I wouldn't bet against Scheffler. Um, if I had to bet against him, I would bet on Rom. But who knows? I mean, Adam's talked about many, many times over the last few years the collection of talent that is capable, especially of winning of a course like Augusta, where the dynamics, you know, where, where an aging Tiger Woods can can go out there and win. It just it's a different dynamic and a different kind of player can can, can succeed there. And so. I just I stay away from anything Masters prediction related, you know, with a ten foot pole, and stay away on the MGM Grand as well on that front because it, I just it just seems impossible to to handicap with how much talent there is right now. If if, if you said, hey, I want to do something for entertainment purposes, and I'm going to put it on a bit of a long shot. I think the name that really says something to me, um, that kind of you know jumps out at me is probably Max Homa. Who's a guy who has just been on the West Coast? He's been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, has turned his game around on the Florida swing enough that that he, you know, is, is starting to get his grasp in the in, in the Eastern Time Zone, and and he has the game. He has the humility. If you know anything about Max Homa, he was a guy who was hanging out on Twitter and people would send him videos of his swing, of their swing, and he would analyze it. You know, just all these different band swings. Um, a, a, a very just down-to-earth guy that I think understands that, that you know, it's not life and death at, at the Masters. And I think he has the mental mindset to pull that off. So. One, one guy who I don't think will, because I, I don't know what's going on with him, but Justin Thomas has almost forgotten how to play golf. So yeah. I, I, he can't hit the ball off the tee uh, at all. Um, and uh, he's the guy that will be high up on the list, but I would avoid it all costs. So. With that said, I think we've uh, taken our complete trip through um, Sadnessville for this particular episode of The Emporium. Um, we'll be back on in a few weeks. I imagine, I forget which weekend the draft is, uh, third week in April, um, NFL. I think it's like the 23rd or something like that. And okay, of course, so it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a big spectacle, of course, but, uh, um, uh, we're at the, we're at the 25th now and, uh, of March, um, yeah. So next week and of course, final four following week will be the masters, Yep. Uh, and then, and then I believe it's the, uh, I want to say, no, actually, I think it's, it's not till the end of April, 27, 28, okay. 29. So, uh, our next show certainly will be covering final four, um, wind down of the wings and Pistons season will be into the first month of baseball. Um, hopefully the Tigers will still have starting pitchers. Um, and, uh, yeah, the draft will be upcoming. So some of that good stuff. And of course the masters will uh, talk about as well so with that in mind and with the tip of the cap to the year 1985 this has been another edition of the saturday morning sports emporium for adam swenson and brandon lee my name's justin lee and we'll see you in a few weeks take care